Tuzman and you're back on equal footing. Tonight we are going to tackle an issue, as always, or not always, but most of the time through the prism of Jewish law, Jewish ethics. We are in a Jewish network. We, of course, welcome listeners of all faiths. In fact, next week is going to be an interfaith dialogue, and we'll address that in a moment. But this week is about abortion, reproductive rights, pro-life, pro-choice, Obviously something that's you can't miss right now in the news, probably anywhere in the world, certainly in the United States. The 1973 Supreme Court decision of Roe v. Wade that broadly protected women's right to have an abortion for most or a large portion of term uh, looks like it might get overturned as early as this summer by the Supreme Court, at least of this land in the United States. It's a protection that has generally been granted in secular law in most of the democratic world. So this would definitely be bucking the trend if this were a change here in the United States. Wherever you sit on this issue from a political and social perspective, the as, as an observant person, as an observant Jew in this case, I would think you'd want to look at it also through the lens of halacha, of Jewish law, Jewish ethics, Jewish thought. Whether or not that informs your ultimate decision politically is up to you. But I think to have that as a background is important as a thoughtful person living in, in our community. And, you know, if you're non-Jewish, you're listening, or if you're a secular Jew, you're listening, you know, it may even be, you know what, they're atheist Jews, folks that, that are culturally and Jewish by blood but um, aren't necessarily religious in their life. Well, it's still important, I think, to have a frame of reference to understand how to talk about this issue um, in an informed way uh, with others. The prevailing narrative around the abortion discussion, which ends up being a lot about when is life, nefesh in Hebrew, when is when is life come into being? Is it at conception? Is it at birth? Is it somewhere in between? The prevailing narrative, which is generally believed to be at the beginning, at, at, at conception or very shortly after conception, is a Christian narrative. And many people by extension believe it's a Judeo-Christian narrative, believing that it's rooted in the Jewish tradition. And that narrative isn't. There are lots of disagreements around where life begins in the Jewish world. We'll get to that a little bit on this show. But uh, no one in the Jewish world from from the Reform and Reconstructionist movement all the way to the very traditional orthodox end of the spectrum believes it's at conception. So there are some differences here. And also, the those in the Jewish world that believe in a woman's right to choose and the rights to abortion, whether they agree that it's a, a moral decision or not, the, the, the right to take that uh, decision, don't base it in general when it comes to Jewish ethics on the same basis that you find in the, in the Christian world, which has to do um, with... Uh, or, or I would say in the secular world, rather, which has to do with women's autonomy over their own bodies, there's there's often another ethical grounding to us. This stuff is interesting, and it's important to be willing to discuss that which is interesting and controversial without necessarily um, being sensationalist. We don't have to be uh, sensationalist to talk about things that are, I guess, in the strict definition of the word, sensational of the moment, very topical. Two brave guests tonight who agreed to be on the program and speak about this complex issue. I want to start by introducing our guest on the phone, uh, Mrs. Rivka Slonim. Many of you probably know uh, of, of Rivka. She's an acclaimed uh, auxer, uh, uh, author, lecturer, uh, former adjunct professor of biomedical Jewish biomedical ethics at Binghamton University for, for 20 years. With her husband, Rabbi uh, Aaron Slonim, she's the co-founder of Chabad uh, Binghamton, the Rohr Chabad Center for Jewish Student Life at Binghamton University. As I said, she's an internationally recognized uh, activist and lecturer and author. Uh, Rivka's focus is on the intersection of traditional Jewish observance and contemporary life. Rivka, we got to get you on the program more, because that's exactly what this program is about, the intersection 
of religious observance, mostly Jewish, and contemporary life. And uh, Rivka is the author of Total Immersion, a mikvah anthology. She's the author of Bread and Fire, Jewish Women Find God in the Everyday. And her forthcoming book, Look Out for It, by Rivka Slonim, is co-authored with Sarah uh, Marazov, and it's called Holy Intimacy. Sounds very interesting, and I hope to be able to discuss that that uh, topic later in the show. It'll be available. Holy intimacy will be available for purchase later this summer. Rivka, welcome for welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me, Dove. Oh, you sound great. You sound like you're right here in the studio, just like our other guests, Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Many of you know uh, Rabbi Jacobson. It's an honor to have you here again on the show and in studio, which is wonderful. Um, Rabbi Jacobson. Uh, is a pioneering speaker, educator, and mentor to thousands known all over the world. He's the author of the best-selling book, Toward a Meaningful Life. If you haven't read this book, whether you're Jewish or not, pick it up, Towards a Meaningful Life. It's a William Morrow publication. It's sold over 400,000 copies to date. It's been translated into many languages, of course, written in English, also translated into Hebrew, French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, Italian, Russian, German, Hungarian, Czech, Georgian, I'm sure others that I'm not listing. Rabbi Jacobson heads the Meaningful Life Center. Uh, it's been called by the New York Times, I love this, a spiritual Starbucks. It bridges, the Meaningful Life Center bridges the secular and spiritual, as does Rivka and her work through a wide variety of live and online programming. Rabbi, Jacob, Rabbi Jacobson actually has a program on this network, on the Talkline Network, a half-hour program on Tanya each week. Uh, tune in, Moitza Shabbos. And uh, his work presents the universal teachings of Torah as a blueprint for practical life to people of all backgrounds. Uh, Rabbi Jacobson, I can attest to, and my own learning with him is uh, has keen insight into the human condition, and he has a unique ability to offer clarity and direction on difficult issues and in difficult times. Um, he's been lauded for creating non-stop programming, nourishing people's hearts and souls. Rabbi Jacobson, welcome again to Equal Footing. Thank you so much. It's an honor, pleasure to be here with you. Rivka, um, let's start Let's start with you since I've got Rabbi Jacobson in the studio. If I ask the toughest question first, he might kick me under the table. I, we titled this show in the, in the social media uh, realm as A Limb or a Life, A Limb or a Life. And while I don't want to do an hour here on halacha, on Jewish law, because we'll probably lose some of our listeners and it's not our area of, of expertise, I think it is important to have a point of departure and help listeners understand that unlike uh, the dogma that exists in certain other religions, there's quite a bit of debate on hashkafa, on the guidance that we get from uh, religious law and, uh, and and rabbinical interpretation in Judaism. And there's a relatively wide range of, of, um, of interpretation as it pertains to abortion. Is it allowed? What are the exceptional circumstances under why it might be allowed? Does it constitute a very difficult uh, decision in which you're kind of wounding your own body, but for, for a better ulterior purpose in certain circumstances, or is it murder? And so this limb, is it a limb or a life? Can you, uh, maybe guess a little bit at why we've, why we've titled the program that, uh, Rifka and maybe give our, our listeners a bit of an orientation on the halachic spectrum or the, the spectrum of interpretation when it comes to Jewish law as it pertains to abortion? Well, thanks for that soft entry. Um, I would say this, I would say actually thank you for asking that question because it was something in your introduction um, that I took issue with and I was wondering how to address that in polite fashion being a guest on your program. Um, But I think I heard you say that there's no one uh, in the Jewish world who considers life at conception to be considered life. And I think two things are being conflated here whether truncation of such life would be considered murder and the idea that that actually is considered a life. Do you see what I mean? There are two different things going on. Yes, in Judaism, the truncation of fetal life is not considered murder, or at least capital murder that would be punishable by capital punishment. It's treated very differently than murder in the Torah. At the same time, there is nothing casual about fetal life. And uh, if you read the Talmud, Sanhedrin 91b, it tells us right there that there is a soul that accompanies that life immediately at conception. Now, of course, there's the unfurling of that relationship between the soul 
and the body, and that's where we get, you know, the both revolutionary and evolutionary aspects of life, and those are, they're, you know, expressed and they're reflected in different statements in the Torah about different stages in the pregnancy. But for not one moment do I want to leave anybody with the impression that there's anything about fetal life that is not of infinite value. Fair, fair point, and I always love to be corrected. Uh, Rabbi Jacobson, I, I would say um, in response, uh, or, or I guess as, a, as an extension of, of, of Rivka's point, that the interpretation around the, uh, the, the inception of life, of the um, infusing of the, of the nefesh or the life force in Judaism, in general, as I understand it, please correct me if I'm wrong, does seem to be later in term than is generally um, believed to be the case in the various Christian possibly with the exception of the Episcopalian tradition, but in most of the Christian traditions, uh, it seems to be much earlier uh, in, in term, and, and the issue becomes, is therefore a little bit more complex through the prism of, of Jewish thought. Is that is that accurate, or am I on the wrong track? I want to um, perhaps take a different angle at this. Um, we could get into the nuances of different stages of life as uh, Mrs. Slunim or Rivka not sure how we should formally call I asked for permission ahead of the show. I hope it's okay, Rifka, that I'm calling you by your first name. Absolutely. Or Rebbitz and Slanim. Um, uh, so to get into the nuances, firstly, it's important to state that uh, halacha, as you mentioned, Torah law, is determined in a particular setting. Not everybody can just open up a Talmud or a Shulchan Aruch, a code of Jewish law, and come to conclusions. So I just want to make it clear to the listening audience that if you want to really address the halachic issues, this needs to be addressed by a competent halachic authority who understands, number one, what the Torah says, and number two, the conditions and circumstances. Because as soon as, for example, you get into the situation of the mother's danger to the mother's life, it takes on a whole different dimension. And yes, there are stages of development, as uh, Rivka clearly stated, but I'll use the word sanctity of life. Um, which begins at the moment, because remember, life is sacred, and we don't divide life and say, you know what, a child of two years old is not as sacred as a child of 20 years old, or an adult of 20 years old. And when you start splitting that, the sanctity of life, and the God's choosing that this soul should come to this body, begins at the moment of conception, and maybe even earlier, frankly. But I think, especially in the context of the Roe versus Wade, and the whole abortion I think it, it wouldn't even be wise to get into the nuances of halacha because we're not looking for a loophole here or to say, oh, is there any circumstance where abortion is allowed? I think there's a far bigger issue that we need to address is what is this whole controversy about in the first place? Why is there such a debate? What lies at the heart of it? Is it, as you put into the title, is it reproductive rights? Is it about what life is about? Is it about the sexual revolution? and people can do whatever they wish, and nobody should tell them what they do. So I think that's the bigger issue, and that's why if someone asks me a local question on this matter, I'll say, if you're really talking about a real situation, and you have a, whether you have a question whether a, a, a pregnancy should be terminated, God forbid, then you have to approach it to the right authorities, give them the details. If you're looking to somewhat justify um, the Supreme Court's ruling in 1973, that's another discussion altogether. And I think to be fair to our secular listeners and to listeners that are paying attention to the constitutional law at question, uh, Rabbi Jacobson and, and Rabbitson Sloanum, the question of the inception of life, um, is a core, a core constitutional legal question because it, that, that gets to the issue of the 14th Amendment right of privacy versus, um, versus that sanctity of uh, putting it in, in, that's in religious terms, the sanctity of life, you know, concept as well that's protected by the Constitution. Before we go to our first break, I, I want to like throw out a couple of points of reference for listeners that will inform both the questioning at the outset and also maybe make the, the rest of our conversation a little bit more um, 
uh, fluid. Um, first, it, it, it's interesting to note that, um, and we're not, I'm not talking here, of course, about halacha, about Jewish law, nor even about Jewish ethics, just talking about the sociological realities. Only one religious grouping, and this is a, a Pew uh, poll study from 2018 that I'm quoting here that's relatively widely disseminated. There's only one religious group in the United States that has a higher percentage that believes that that abortion um, should be uh, generally available without without you know not just in the event of the danger of the mother, but as it's currently constituted in the Roe v. Wade protection, and that's the Unitarian Universalist tradition, which some, you you guys probably know is is of is um very it, it kind of it, it it's a borderline kind of secular ethical uh, type of, uh, of 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 faith. Um, Atheist and agnostic identified individuals in the United States, almost 90% also believe that abortion should be legal. The next grouping from religious identification is Jewish. 83% of, uh, of Jews in the United States of any denomination believe that um, Roe v. Wade should be protected, that abortion should be federally protected. Very close to the number that you get in the Buddhist tradition. Just to give you a frame of reference, you have b- around 40% of Catholics the United States believe that, that abortion should be legal. Around 40% of, of Seventh-day Adventists. Then you get way down, all the way into the teens when you're talking about uh, people of the Mormon faith, Southern Baptists, Jehovah's Witnesses, etc. So I think we've got to recognize, just as a matter of sociological reality, that as a community, at least in the United States, and by the way, there are numbers supporting this is true around the world as well, but the numbers are I can substantiate more in a program here in the United States, is as a Jewish community, we do tend to believe, for whatever reason, whether we're getting there halachically, whether we're getting there um, through other social and uh, political circumstance, that Roe v. Wade should should be um, in, in, in place. Another point that, that I think is worth mentioning is that there, is, there are references um, that come from our sacred texts that are often quoted, and I would I would say probably misquoted, but that that have um, that have to some extent softened the uh, the view that even non-Jews have of of the Jewish belief around uh, abortion. For example, from the Talmud, the idea that in the first forty days of gestation, a fetus is considered "quote unquote" mere fluid. Um, the there are various references as well. Um, that are that that seem to to guide one to believe that the that the the nefesh the life force of the, of the fetus comes much later in term. I'm not I'm not a competent authority even in in a million in a thousand lifetimes. I'm more saying this to to make it clear to listeners that there is some basis for people to believe, whether rightly or wrongly, that that as a faith that that Judaism is kind of softer, so to speak, on on the issue of abortion. Um, that's a question. It's not a statement, but it is, is a frame of reference. And we'll come back after the break uh, to Rivka Slonim and, and Rabbi Simon Jacobson to give us a little bit more uh, education on this. We'll be right back on equal footing. Question on the table is a limb or a life. We're talking about abortion through the prism of Jewish law and Jewish ethics. We'll be right back. Me guardo tu recuerdo como el mejor secreto Qué dulce fue tenerte dentro Hay un trozo de luz en esta Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital provides financing to watch dealers and watch collectors as well from anywhere in the world. It's basically very affordable inventory finance financing. The watch business has been expanding for years. Unlock the cash value of your inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's buyback contracts. They're like two and a half pages long, very easy to execute, very easy to get your financing, typically same day, max two days. You can do it by downloading the Mechanical Art Capital app, right in those three words, Mechanical Art capital into your app uh, store on your iPhone or your Android device, and you can quickly get your watch inventory or collection appraised. It's free of charge, and you can use that appraisal for insurance purposes or to get cash from the watches you just had appraised. You can also go to mechanicalartcapital.com, or if you prefer to call to get more information about Mechanical Art Capital's watch inventory or watch collection financing tools, call 833 833- 
833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972 for Mechanical Art Capital. Operators are standing by. I've been Oof, already getting lots of questions and comments uh, coming in, and that's without even having said the number to call. So clearly this is a topic, I, I, understandably, right, <laughs> uh, in everybody's mind right now. If you want to send in a question or comment on this topic of abortion through the prism, through the lens of Jewish law and ethics, you can text a comment or question or WhatsApp that to 917 917- Four two eight four zero six two. That's nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. If you're not shy about hearing yourself on the air, you can also call in and and uh, give your comment or question live. Seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. That's seven one eight three zero three. 9090 to ask a question or give a comment live here to Rebetzin Rivka Sloanim and Rabbi Simon Jacobson on this uh, delicate but important topic. And if you call in, you don't have to say your name. You can also uh, do so anonymously. All right. I, 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 before the break, Rabbi, I tried to be a little bit uh, piquant just to get things, some stuff out there. The numbers show that as a Jewish community in the United States, we're more accepting of abortion than other faiths. Um, to what do you attribute that? To be perfectly frank, I think I attribute it to the same secularization that began several hundred years ago through what is called by some the Enlightenment, ironically, where um, life, as it was always appreciated as being the single most sacred, when I sacred, I want to make it clear, I don't mean sacred in a religious context. I mean something that's sacred, just like a marriage is sacred. A trust is sacred. It's a commitment that is absolute, and it's a commitment to life. And life was always valued as indispensable, as something that we don't play around with. It's not negligible, and no one has the ability to determine whether, for example, a uh, 90-year-old person who's at a deathbed, God forbid, in the hospital is less valuable than a 30-year-old who's building a career. And the same thing the other way around that a young child is somewhat less important than. So that has, uh, unfortunately, I'll use the word deteriorated, because I've always seen it this way. I have a soci- there's a sociologist I know well, and I asked him, what is the litmus test of a healthy society? So he says, well, the usual suspects are a high standard of living, life, uh, health insurance, longevity, life expectancy, uh, GDP, stuff like that. And I said to him, well, I'll tell you the Jewish view on that. The measure of a successful and healthy generation is our attitude to relationships, marriage, sexuality, children. So he said to me, I remember without missing a beat, he said, well, based on my standards, we're probably the best generation in history. And based on yours, we may be the worst. (laughs) This isn't just a matter of... Oh, I think that's why it's vital. When you were saying it, I was cringing a bit. Not because I, I can't see here in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Not because I have a problem hearing a, contra- a contrary opinion. Did, were I, you cringing at the numbers or or the Talmudic quote? Both. Okay. Because the numbers are <laughs> just what they are. You're, you're cringeworthy. Yeah. What can I say? Yeah, yeah. I know. I know that. <laughs> so I want. I wanted to say. I'll tell you why. Not because everyone's entitled to their position and opinion, yeah. because I think it's like talking about the smoke, and we got to get to the root of the issue. Okay. Why are we talking about abortion? Why are people fighting for the abortion rights before we even get to what the numbers are? Is it because women are dying due to their pregnancy and illegalizing abortion will allow these women to suffer? Or is it because women want to be free like men to have sexual relationships without consequences, to put it perfectly? Now, I know there's something in between. There's a lot in between. Yeah, of course. The people have relationships. They didn't expect a baby, and now they don't want to live with that, which is I understand. But maybe the issue then has to be how are we addressing sexuality? Why are we so casual about our sexual relationships? Let, let, let's and that's, that I would want to talk about. Right. Well, because if not, what you're doing is like you – not you, but you're setting up the – the question is it's like saying, okay, and now does a woman have a right to have an abortion or not? The question is really, what is our attitude to relationships? 
How sacred do we see commitments like that? Is intimacy anything more than just two people enjoying themselves? And that's what I would like to address. Let's come back to that. And, and Rivka, before the break, I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond. I was talking about the nefesh and the, 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 the life uh, uh, force and the, the fact that in the Talmud there's a reference of the, the that uh, in the first 40 days uh, it's 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 merely fluid the the nefesh pod so to speak. Um, how do you react to that? Well, thank you for the opportunity to clarify that because it's very important. Um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe famously taught that there are two terms in the Torah that refer to human life. One is Adam, and the other is nefesh. Adam, he taught, speaks to what we can call the revolutionary aspect of life. That is the very possibility for a soul and body to be locked in synergy. That's revolutionary. That's, that is uh, what is represented in the term Adam. And that is infinitely sacred. That relationship is infinitely and inestimably valuable from the moment of conception until the last breath is drawn. At the same time, there is the term nefesh, and that speaks to the what we could call evolutionary aspect of life. And we have this on both ends of life, the beginning and end. And you're right that there are primary sources that mention the first 40 days or the fetus in utero being just a limb or before crowning and after crowning. All of this is correct, but the comments in the Talmud to this effect should not be misunderstood to mean that abortion is unproblematic at any stage. That is vociferously not the case. And we see that Shabbat may be broken to save a pregnancy even in the very beginning stages. So we have both the revolutionary and the evolutionary aspects of life, and you're correct that when it threatens, when fetal life threatens mother's life, then the fetal life has to yield to the mother's life. At the same time, the sanctity of life informs both sides of the equation. So let's let's dig let's dig in a couple uh, in a couple of these points, and, and I want to we'll get back to the numbers uh, from in, in a moment. But Rebetzin Slonim, the the question of sanctity, which you and Rabbi Jacobson have both brought up, um, one could argue. Is a bit of a, like a redirect, um, because I don't think there's any serious person probably listening to this program that thinks that life isn't sacred. And, and there are many things that are sacred in a free society. Um, you're that, correct. If, if could I, I, could just, I interrupt you for a moment? Let me just finish the point so okay. to, to the question. There are many things that are sacred that we protect, but in a free society, we also recognize um, that there's a degree of threat that's allowed. Um, we don't, for example, uh, imprison people for many forms of speech that are very that are very hurtful. In fact, some of the greatest advocates of free speech at the extreme um, kind of despicable end of the spectrum have been uh, uh, advocates that have, to some extent, rooted their arguments in in Jewish law. So. We we have to recognize in a free society there are things that are uh, that are sacred and deserve protection, um, but that that also must be open to um, open to threat, open to criticism, open to the kind of the natural evolution of secular law. So w- w- if we take off the table, the what I would say to some extent is the red herring of whether life is sacred. We all agree life is sacred. Why is it numerically? And I think you wanted to to react to this before uh, we went to break. Why is it numerically then that you still have more than 80% of Jews in the United States and surprisingly over 40% of self-denominated Orthodox Jews in the United States who believe that Roe v. Wade should be kept in place, who believe that there should be federal legal protection for abortion? I don't want to conflate what people feel about Roe v. Wade and the halacha that we're discussing or... Fair point. The approach, okay, because I think they're two very different things. But I'll say this. One is, yes, there are many things we consider sacred, but are there many things we consider to have infinite value? And remember that when talking about infinity, every fragment, every increment thereof 
is infinite. Infinity divided by any number will always be infinity. That's an audacious idea, and it's the linchpin of our discussion. Life qua life having inestimable value, even its most nascent stage, as opposed to considering life as an instrumental or utilitarian value. And this cuts, like I said earlier, both ways. It's expressed in the default position against abortion, and conversely is the very reason abortion can and sometimes must be considered for therapeutic purposes. But this goes to another idea, and that is, you talked earlier about rights. Life, our bodies, are not ours. We are at the most custodians of the lives God's entrust us with, ours and fetal life included. And so our first concern always has to be with properly fulfilling our responsibility and our sacred trust. The other idea here is that as a society, we're infatuated with rights. As a religion and as a way of living, Judaism is based on the notion of obligation. So in a right-based society, there will be an inevitable tension between the rights of the woman as opposed to the rights of the fetus. In an obligation-based way of life, which comes from the opposite direction, the question is always, what is our responsibility? What is our duty to mother's life and fetal life? And by the way, our societal infatuation with rights has created a muddled, confused system wherein a woman can interrupt or abort her pregnancy, note the terminology, if she so desires, and yet in 24 states and in the District of Columbia, substance abuse during pregnancy is considered child abuse. Then we have the Unborn Victims of Violence Act of 2004, which recognizes an embryo or fetus in utero as a legal victim. So you can see there's a lot of incoherence or inconsistency. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, as a great democratic philosopher once said, because a democracy requires inconsistency, in fact, for it to survive. And to some extent, one would argue something similar around uh, around, around Judaism. And one of the things that's made uh, our faith so enduring is that so much of it, so much of Hashkafa is interpretation and, 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 and learning over time and, and, and debate. And that's, that's what, that's what this, um, program is partially about, not in the halachic sense, but in the sense of being willing to hear different points of view. Again, Rabbi I Jacobson, I want to take Rifka's last comment and, 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 um, and, and, and relate it to the point that you made, uh, earlier about, um, sexual choices. Um, you know, one of the great ironies of a, living in a free society is that we um, almost always don't agree with tons of stuff going on. I mean, you, you, we could live in a, in an authoritarian state where um, we're aligned with the, with the uh, totalitarian uh, leader, but to the extent that we're in a, in a free society, I mean, it's, these are, these are inconsistencies that, you know, folks like Baruch uh, Spinoza and Jean-Jacques Rousseau identified very early on in the democratic model that it's like, you know, we, we can practice our faith so openly in the United States in part because the United States allows for rules to exist for, for communities to exist in large part that that may be anathema to us that's that that's part of what freedom is about why, why is this any different why why and does that explain the the numerical support amongst the Jewish community why why can't even if we find something morally repugnant support its uh, a, a, a legal right that exists um, in order to allow the whole framework of society to function and for us to kind of uh, get along. Let me first, I think, address two points that you've made. One is you keep going back to the statistics. I want to talk about numbers, but let me first say something I think even more important. Uh, I was invited a few years ago to speak, interestingly, to a group of abortion rights activists. One of them knew me, and they felt it would be an interesting, uh, maybe controversial evening. And I want to repeat what I said there. I think my role, and I can't speak for Rivka or other um, Jewish uh, thinkers or writers or authorities, is not to weigh in on the politics of Roe versus Wade, whether it should be overturned or not. I see this as a tremendous opportunity to illuminate the conversation about what is life and therefore how we should look at abortion. Because I see there are symptoms and there is the root of the issue. I believe my role, and I, that's very much why I agreed to come on the show, is to address the root of the issue. The legalities and the politics of Roe versus Wade can be debated one way or another. I know, Fair just enough. for a record, that liberal thinkers 
a great liberal attorney once told me that his professor, they were in, he was in Harvard in 1973 law school, his liberal professor actually told his class, I know you think this may sound weird, but I don't know if legally the Supreme Court had a right to create Roe versus Wade. So hey, what's the root of the issue? So Yeah, so that's what I want to say. And that's why I, if someone asks me, do you support Roe versus Wade or not? You know, even if, even if Roe versus Wade is overturned, we still live in a democratic country and it's going to go back to the states and there'll be states that will be more conservative and be more liberal. So it's not like abortion is disappearing because if Roe versus Wade disappears. Let's, let's make that clear. So, um, and, and it's a total agreement. I agree with what Rivka said, the tension. Here, let's talk about Jewish people who follow Torah, but they live in a country that does assure people of rights. So how do you uh, balance the two? The answer is that we as the Jewish people are here to be a light onto nations. Let us talk about the root issue. The root issue goes back to what we discussed earlier. And I speak now, let's speak very personally. If I was speaking right now to a woman who got pregnant, she's not married, let's just say a single woman, she's gotten pregnant, she, and her, her boyfriend is not interested in supporting this child. She's alone. She's single. And she comes to me and talks to me and says, should I abort? I'm not going to tell her what to do. I'll try to talk it through with her because abortion, even for a woman who does, who, 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 who does, it doesn't mean that it, some women are still haunted by it years later. It's a very deeply so psychological. What do, you, what do you tell her? So what I'd like to speak to her about is relationships. Why, maybe she should work on finding a guy in her life that will be committed with her to build a family. Now, I understand the immediate short-term question is, what about the abortion right now? So I, but I will tell her, I can't tell her, the, I can't tell you what to do, what to do, but I can teach you a bit and inspire you. What is a relationship? What you deserve in your life. You deserve to have a, a partner in your life. Both of you created the, the divine image with the blessing of bringing children into this world. And I will try to, Explain that to her. At the end of the day, she's going to need to make a difficult decision. But I just want to point out that it's not always for us to tell people what to do. It's to educate them and in the content. No pretension here in the show to tell people what to do at all. And I'm right. very great, grateful to both of you being on the program because it's such a difficult issue. And ultimately, part of what we're getting at is, is at the end of that discussion, uh, whose choice is it? Should she have the choice? Um, we're going to come back in a minute. We're going to take our second break. We've got a bunch of uh, questions and, and comments from listeners. I'm going to try to do a little bit of a lightning round between both you, Rivka, and, and you, Rabbi Jacobson. We'll be right back on equal footing. We're talking about abortion through the prism of Jewish law and Jewish ethics. We'll be right back. We got home bigger strangers than we've ever been before. You sit in front of snowy television, suitcase on the floor, but Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Back on Equal Footing, and I'm Dove Tuzman, and I'm on with Rebetzin Rifka Slonim, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, and we're talking about this uh, delicate and complex issue of abortion uh, in the context of, of Jewish ethics. Rifka, right before the break, uh, Rabbi Jacobson was describing the how he reacts when he has someone come to him on a counsel, from a counseling perspective on the difficult choice of whether to abort. In that, in that anecdote, uh, in your experience, what do you do when you have a, a similar, similarly situated person, someone who's not married, uh, and for whatever, um, you know, good reasons, practical reasons in their own lives, 
um, goes to and says, you know, I, I, I can't handle it. I don't want to have this baby. How do you, how do you counsel that person? Well, Dove, if somebody's coming to me for counsel of that kind of situation, that signals to me that this person is coming to hear the halachic view because they know who I am. They know what I stand for. And above all else, it signals that they need my compassion and my practical help. And so I'll do everything I can to let them know that I will always love them and be there for them. And I will do everything I can to try to help them understand more about what's going on and what they're going to want, not just in the moment, but in the long term. Rabbi Jacobson, you know, he referred to the tremendous trauma that surrounds this issue. And that doesn't get enough attention in the press. But there's something else I want to speak about, and that is uh, by Jacobson talked about how what we really need to talk about is relationships and sexuality and so on and so forth, and I don't disagree. But I think another big thing we need to discuss is that abortion is always spoken of within the framework of women's rights. It's a woman's issue, her life versus, you know, the pregnancy and so on and so forth. But we need to, we need to zoom out and realize that from the perspective of Judaism, it's not a woman's issue in the same way that Judaism is neither patriarchal nor matriarchal, although you can make a strong case for either. But Judaism is covenantal. And it's the same thing with this issue. God is the boss. And so the question always has to be, what does God ask of us? And that's a big part of what's going on here. And I think that if and when ectogenesis, which is the possibility for a child to be conceived and brought through gestation to viability outside of a woman's body, when that becomes, if and when, widely available, it's going to dramatically change the whole conversation about abortion. Because it's not going to be about my life versus this. It's going to be... Very clearly, so an independent life. Ectogenesis is a fascinating topic, and I, I and we've thought about covering it on a separate separate show. But I want to try to keep us a little bit on track because the it isn't something that's that's viable medically today. And the example of the uh, the woman's life, the mother's life, being you know the choice between the fetus and the woman and and the the mother's life in a medical situation. If you talk to uh, competent doctors, exists, but it's extremely rare. Um, it used to be uh, quite common, you know, before cesarean section, uh, you know, medical technology came in, came into being. Most of the cases right now for elective abortions, because people often speak at the extremes, most of the cases are more along the lines of the anecdote that you gave Rabbi Jacobson and that I've, that I've asked both Rivka, both you and Rabbi Jacobson about, where it's someone who doesn't want to have a child, not in a capricious way, not because they don't see or believe in the sanctity of life, often struggling tremendously about the decision, no matter what they end up deciding. That's, that's really uh, the example that I want us to look at, because I think that's going to be the most common for, for listeners. And on that, uh, Rivka and, and Rabbi Jacobson, I kind of want to um, kind of, ask you to, to to answer the end of that discussion is it you know um the the halacha says don't do it but i'm still going to love you if you do uh rifka in your example or is the is, what what do you what's the what's the punchline of that discussion i'm not asking you to to challenge or put it down i'm asking out of intellectual curiosity what do you say to that young prospective mother i can only tell her the truth i could tell her that from the perspective of halacha Abortion can only be considered the right choice if it threatens the mother's life, whether physiologically or truly threatens her life psychologically. If money is the issue, then it becomes my responsibility to find the money. If support becomes the issue, if she wants to give the child up for adoption, then all those things become my responsibility. Um, but I can't. I, I don't have the so, response. I don't so have the permission to help, to look in her eyes and say, "I understand this is a really terrible time for you to have become pregnant." I truly understand, and it's okay if you go and have an abortion. I mean, right, I, so I, that's that's a that's your view of the halacha on the issue, correct. and I appreciate that. Okay, um, so Rabbi Jacobson, just to, to 
to kind of get you to a concrete answer, just like I asked Rifka, to be fair, the end of that discussion, where where do you end up with that with that young prospective mother and your uh, uh, halachic or counseling guidance? Well, I'll just do. I'll uh, I'll answer exactly as I've answered more than one or more than two or more than a hundred people. <laughs> um, there's, I think, a distinction between telling someone what the Torah says and then telling them, now you need to know, now that you know both sides of the story and you've been informed, My go- the goal here is that you have to ultimately answer this question. So I probably would, I don't know if I would disagree with Rivka in this. I definitely think it's our obligation to share what the Torah says because the Torah is compassionate and the Torah is kind. And even when the Torah says something, that someone doesn't like what they hear, it's still coming from a beautiful place. So it's important that that be stated. But at the end of the day, it's just like when someone says to me, and this is a true story, a stand-up comic said, my parnasa, my livelihood comes from my performances on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, but I want to start keeping Shabbos. What do I do? So I said, look, I can teach you about Shabbos. I can teach you about the laws of Shabbos, but you are an adult. You're going to have to make this decision. So I don't not tell someone what to do. I'll tell them what the Torah says. And now that you've been illuminated. And that's interesting because that does, uh, you know, bring to light that you can hold space philosophically for being against abortion. I'm talking from a Jewish perspective, from a Jewish halachic or Jewish ethical perspective, counsel against it for halachic reasons, but also ultimately one could still be supportive of Roe v. Wade protections as a matter of, of secular law and hope that no one opts for it. So there are, I just want to acknowledge, because some, some listeners have written in that these things don't necessarily stand in opposition. I think that's fair. We, we, we deal with those types of tensions every day in our life. There's also a listener, uh, Rebetzin Sloanem and, and Rabbi Jacobson, who wanted to point out that you're both um, of the Orthodox denomination. I think that's a fair, fair statement. And who points out that the Rabbinical Assembly, which is an international organization of conservative rabbis, and, uh, had a ruling in 1983 that a fetus does not have legal status under Jewish law until that uh, human being is born. And so there are different, there are different halakhic interpretations. I'm not here to say but yeah, one second, hold on. Even if had a different legal status, did they also come out and say abortion is, should just be allowed indiscriminately? No, and no one said. But again, I think that's a bit of a redirect because I think in all, I mean, one can definitely believe in the right for a, for a woman to have an abortion and and believe that it should be extremely selectively and 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 extremely um, rarely taken. But uh, there's a difference between that legal legal protection. So I'm just want to. I'm just. Reading what a listener wrote, and I think it's a fair point that there are different interpretations, whether one agrees or not. I do want to um, hit a couple of other uh, points, and a couple of these may be difficult to hear. We're then we're going to go to our last break and hopefully end on a on a on a conciliatory um, note. On a life affirming note. <laughs> life affirming. Okay. <laughs> Always. Always. Um, so uh, the, uh, uh, this listener um, writes that I in addressing um, himself to to you, Rabbi Jacobson. I, frankly, as a father, do not feel entitled to tell my kids, let alone my daughter, about her sexuality. Uh, It is, to say the least, uh, disrespectful. I think I heard you tell all of us just now that if a woman is pregnant, she should find a man to support her. Um, This listener goes on to, to, you know, is that what what you... No, I said find an equal partner in your life and support each other and build a home and family in a sacred way. That as, would be, as a matter of future advice, obviously. It's in, about in our I mean, some, some wives support their husbands, frankly. So it's not, we're not talking about a, uh, that was a misunderstanding of what I said. Okay. The key is, you know, to go back to Genesis, the book of Genesis. Male and female, God created you. Be partners, soulmates, build a beautiful family. We would not be here in existence, Dove, and I say this to all the listeners, if this edict was not followed for the last thousands of years. Let's not forget where life came from. Rebetzin Slonim, Rifka, there's another uh, a question here that's, um, that's addressed uh, uh, more to you. And it, it's it's about this issue of um, of abortion being more of a family issue rather than a, a, a women's issue per se in the in the in the Jewish community. And the question this listener has um, is who who has the final say 
um, in an orthodox community around the decision to abort. It is, is it the prospective mother, uh, or is it a family decision, or is it a rabbi who decides? That's a wonderful question. It allows us to illuminate yet one more point, and that is that in Judaism, marriage is not seen as a lifestyle choice. It's seen as a mitzvah, as a divine mandate. Having children is not seen as a a lifestyle choice. It's seen as a directive from God. Life is seen as sacred, belongs to God. So who gets to make the ultimate choice? God, or more practically, within the halachic rubric, the halachic authority. So practically speaking, that would mean that a woman, her husband, perhaps clinicians that are involved in her case, would sit together with a rabbi, thrash out all the details. You know, there's no one-size-fits-all. This is um, a situation in which each case has to be uniquely adjudicated. To quote Rabbi Breidowitz, abortion is an example within halacha where the subjective details of each woman's life become objectively important to the final ruling. So the mother, I think, is going to, the woman is going to have the loudest voice in the equation, um, but the rabbi might want to hear from others that are involved in the situation and might want to know what kind of support she has, what kind of financial resources, what kind of communal support, uh, her emotional elasticity, and so on and so forth. Because every woman is going to have a different threshold for what she can handle, you know, what she can take emotionally and like I said, those subjective details become objectively important to the final ruling. So I just want to understand this myself. Is the final decision the woman's alone, or is it a group decision when it comes to uh, an Orthodox uh, community deciding on an, an abortion? The final decision would be the Rav. It's not a communal decision. It's, uh, it means no. a woman speaking with her Rav, with her... With a rabbi. Halach, yeah, with her halachic authority. And the final decision would be his. I'm going to make an executive decision here on the show just to skip our last ad break and take the punishment from our sponsor because this is a really interesting discussion. We've got so many text questions. We've got a caller waiting. Um, there's another uh, commentator, and I'll leave this open to either uh, Rebitson or Rabbi for you to, to, to answer, um, that uh, that this is from Yael in L.A., who says, it feels like we're on the wrong end of the stick on this one, guys. Same thing as gay rights or going back further in the Bible, issues around slavery or corporal punishment. Why are we even having this discussion? It's clear it's a woman's right to choose. The vast majority of Jews in the United States and the world feel it's the woman's right to choose. Why, why must we torture ourselves this way? It's obviously subject to interpretation from a textual perspective. There are other interpretations that are not being represented on this program. She goes on and on. Um, listen, part of the goal of this program is to also be empathetic to lots of point of view. I'm sure there are other listeners who are thinking that as well. Uh, I mean, it's at least in the Jewish community, I know that the numbers can be hard to hear. But as I said at the outset of the program, 83% of American Jews and 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 almost half of American Orthodox Jews believe in uh, Roe v. Wade that Roe v. Wade should stand. Um, to both of you, let's start with you, Rivka. Uh, there's so much interpretation in in, in Hashkafa. It's what it is, um, and there's there are there are sources that allow for a lot more flexibility. Not that it should be an easy choice, but for the belief that the fetus is un, until late in later in term or even at birth a kind of a limb of of the mother and that self wounding for a higher purpose is allowed for under certain circumstances. Are we on the wrong side? I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves on this one, are we on the wrong side of the stick <laughs> or uh, uh, the the kind of uh, hi- history's judgment on this on this issue? Are you going to be okay with your um, your, you know, your grandchild's grandchild listening to this podcast someday and, and knowing that, that we were taking such a firm stand halachically, or do you just, this is one of those cases where we got to, you know, stand against the current. I'm absolutely comfortable with taking a stand that I'm taking. Earlier you said that there's inconsistency in democracy, there's this inconsistency in halacha. I don't know that there's inconsistency in halacha. I think you're conflating inconsistency with multiplicity of opinion, possibly in certain cases. I don't know of any halakhic opinion 
um, that is more yielding or malleable than the ones we've spoken about. We said that there are times where abortion is permitted, and that would be for therapeutic purposes alone. But let's forget that for a moment. Let's talk about why Jews predominantly support abortion. I think it has to do with the overall predominant liberal stance of most Jews, and again, the framing of this as a right. And you know what? Halachic Jews are always going to be on the other side, just like Abraham. You know, Abraham was called Abraham Ha'ivri. He was on the other side of where the whole world was. He believed in monotheism. Nobody else did. So, you know, I tell my kids this all the time. You could see a lot of people clamoring to get on a bus. Everybody's laughing. Everybody's jostling. They're having so much fun. You can get on that bus, but you need to ask yourself, is the bus going in the direction you are looking to go? It's very simple. Sometimes it does feel lonely. Sometimes it is difficult to stand up and say, well, but this is what we believe. This is what God has taught us. This is what God asks of us. But I think we're on the right side. So next week we're going to have, I think, uh, Rabbi Dr. Jeremy Weeder on to have in an interfaith dialogue around a little bit more of the specifics around the halacha. My understanding is there's actually a fair degree of variability in halachic interpretation on this issue, but we'll, we'll get to that next week. Irrespective of that, I think the question still stands, Rabbi Jacobson, whether through the lens of posterity we'll have been on the right side of this issue and, um, Hashkafa has changed on a lot of issues over time. So it's a tough question. It's worth uh, worth hearing an answer to. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Barditchev, the great Hasidic rabbi, once told a self-proclaimed atheist, the God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. So I believe that we live in a society that even though people call themselves secular, or don't bring God into the picture and that want God to be have a say, in my private matters, in my bedroom, and over my rights, is based on a very false premise of what God is. I believe there's going to be a tremendous spiritual revolution that will come out of all of this because secular society that does not have um, the absolute value of the sanctity of life ultimately is going to fail in marriages and relationships and in having healthy, functional lives. So I really think that even though many people may not see it, but there's a big revolution coming. And uh, in that sense, I think 4,000 years of Jewish history is on our side. You know, the Romans also said, as did Haman, that here, why is this a nation, this nation that just refuses to conform to us and bow to us? And there's no Haman left, and there's no Persians left, and there's no Romans left, and no Greeks, and no Egyptians. So if you really want to know who's on the right side, just look at history. The, the values that are driven by the concept that actually the Declaration of Independence states that all men are created equal. We'll call it all people are created equal. Okay? is based on the, the statement, the verse in the Torah, in the Bible, that each of us is created in the divine image. That has created a tremendous, a beautiful country like the United States that guarantees these very rights. I sometimes wonder whether an atheist would allow the rights of the freedom of religion as the right when you know that every person is creating the divine image has the right actually to even deny the divine image. So I have no doubt who's on the, on, but I don't, I don't like the idea of one upmanship who's going to prevail. I think we are all children of God. I think we all have to understand that we're in it together and we need to create a better society. And to me, this is an opportunity to do so. Rabbitson, Rivka Slonim, and Rabbi Simon Jacobson, I really appreciate you guys being in the program. We could go on for hours. We have a lot more questions and texts that came, the comments that came in. We have uh, callers that have been waiting, and I apologize to them. And we even skipped our ad break because obviously this is a topic that's 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 top of mind. And I hope uh, you'll be willing to come on again. Maybe get a little bit more. Maybe we'll get a little bit more specific. I'd love to talk about ectogenesis, for example, uh, Rivka, and and to talk a little bit more about the halacha where I can always, always learn. We said we'd end on a life-affirming note, and that is that uh, it's it for me it's life-affirming that, that both of you guys uh, care enough uh, to be involved in this issue um, with your the folks that you're counseling and not to be afraid to address something that sometimes will generate a program. So um, I I, uh, I give... 
give you both my uh, kudos and admiration for for that. And thank you for both. Thank you both for being on the program. And we'll thank you for the you opportunity. Thank you for having us. Follow us on Instagram. We have our new, it's just set up, equal dot footing, equal dot footing, and we'll catch you next week. All the best. You could be my unintended choice to live my life extended.